0: Welcome to Murder on Silk Road, the podcast that explores Asian and European true crime cases. I'm Julia, and with me is
1: my friend and co host, Lina. I'm Lina, and each episode we will be sharing either an Asian or a European case. Between these episodes, we will bring you a shorter in between episode where whoever did a case that week will prepare a random topic to discuss. Occasionally, we hope to invite some of our friends to join us as guests, either to tell us about a case themselves, or just to listen to one of ours. So, right at the bat, we will be joined by our friend Angela. Originally, Angela would have been our third co-host, but unfortunately, her current work schedule made it difficult for her to commit full-time. But she will be with us for the first six episodes, and we hope to have her on as often as her work allows.
0: Before we get started, a general warning. The themes discussed in these stories may be disturbing and triggering for some, so listener discretion is advised. Uh welcome. Welcome to
1: Murder welcome. on Silk Road. Hi guys.
0: Hello. <laughs> that <is an> <laughs> <laughs> of course it's going to be awful. We're just starting. So, welcome to Murder on Silk Road, a uh true crime podcast where we're gonna focus on mainly cases from europe and from asia um my name is julia i am currently in germany unlike
1: my co-hosts yes and why don't you guys introduce yourselves (laughs) yes okay so i'm lena and i am currently based in japan Uh, And I think that we should mention that we are focusing on European and Asian cases because of our backgrounds. So um, I am half German, half Chinese. And I don't know. So we all three of us, we grew up together. I think we should mention that, too.
0: Yeah, we all grew up together in China.
1: Yeah, in China. Yes. And all graduated from the same school. So, yeah, we have a pretty similar background in that sense. But after graduating... uh, I spent three years all in Europe. Of, yeah. yeah, all kinds of different things, different countries, and now I'm in Japan. Whereas Julia,
0: hello, yes, hello from
1: <laughs> from yeah.
0: China. I uh, went on to Canada for two years, and then I returned to Germany because uh, I am one hundred percent German. Both my parents were German. Uh, unlike Lena and. Me, and yeah, you. that's that's kind of where I am right now. And then yes. there's our third co-host. Third Why don't you introduce yourself?
2: Um, hi guys. So hi, I'm Angela. I'm I'm. Hi, based.
1: Angela. Oh my god.
2: <laughs> Somehow <laughs> this is getting really awkward, but I'm based in China, and I'm also like I moved between China and Taiwan and Taipei, and then. I'm from Taiwan, but I grew up in China. There's this whole, And that's a whole issue It's a whole nother yes. issue which we will not get into which yeah. in we will podcast. not get into yeah. at all no. in this podcast, hopefully <laughs> never. Just not very comfortable yeah. with so that, but
0: our background or idea for this podcast was um we're all very interested in true crime like we all um kind of chat about it and uh I don't know about you, Angela, but Lena and I we listen to a lot of true crime podcasts.
2: I like listen. I use it as like my sleeping podcast, so that's what I listen to. Mm-hmm. I I keep it on when I'm sleeping, and it helps me like fall asleep. But then my thing yeah. is, I always wake up. This is so random, FYI thing. But like, I wake <laughs> up to the weirdest part. It's like, ooh, the tourists were walking around in the forest, and they found. A fucking scalp. Ew. I'm um, sorry. Excuse my language, it's okay. but I think we can um, swear. I, I, I think we can swear. I'm right? gonna swear. <laughs> so, I'm gonna swear, but like yeah. they found a fucking scalp and that's how I woke up. Like after like <laughs> listening to the podcast, that's my thing. Yeah, I mean,
1: but,
0: I'm all for listening to podcasts, but I don't know if true crime podcasts are the best thing to listen to as you fall asleep because they're not
2: exactly good bedtime stories. <laughs> i mean yeah that's a maybe that's my fetish i don't know like they go into my dream <laughs> and then it becomes very visual and that's like i don't oh my know gosh. maybe that's why i'm having some sleeping issues but yeah
0: but anyway um so we all are very interested in true crime and um listen to podcasts for me specifically it's like my favorite murder that's why we drink the first degree like very big podcasts and the thing we've noticed or I think it's very clear that sort of the biggest true crime podcasts they're all very focused on North America like occasionally they'll sort of wander into Canada uh, or sometimes they go across the pond to like A couple of European countries, but it's largely very USA based. And that's, while while America does have a lot of very famous cases, there's so much out there. And with our backgrounds, we figured why not focus on more European and Asian cases?
1: Yeah, and I think we just get a lot more exposure to those cases as well, just in our daily lives. And um, because we can read, you know, the articles in their Uh, original languages so we might have more sources we can look at when we try to learn about a case so that's why we just thought you know we'll do it ourselves but obviously we have no idea where this is going and um, (laughs) it really just came about as a hobby or you know just as a way for us to have fun and have a topic to discuss with each other when we have our weekly calls just to you know yeah catch up (laughs) and have Something to talk about. Not that we don't have anything to talk yeah. about, but, you know, it's it's fun. For <laughs> Not us, that we don't have anything maybe to Maybe for talk some about. people, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... That's why we're doing this.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a common interest, so... Um, the connections kind of cut off for
2: me. Okay, yeah, I, I turned off my video, so hopefully... I'm gonna Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do the same. I'm turning off mine, but I think maybe I should also mention that since we're doing this on Venmo, no, what is this called? This is not Venmo. Zoom, zoom, zoom. (laughs) Why
0: am I so So obviously we might we might occasionally run into some technical difficulties because we all we are all in very different countries, pretty far apart. We all have different. Internet connections, and
1: yes. we'll just have to see how and it goes. I'm recording out of a van right now, in the middle of a roadside station. <laughs> but we'll see how it goes. We'll see yeah. how it goes. Let's just wing it. Yes. I think, okay. Um, yeah. Then, are you guys ready for the first story?
0: Yeah. Let's yeah. let's do
1: this. All right. Let's get into it. If you're ready, then our first case takes place in Japan. And is known as the Saitama dog lover murders. Now, Before I start the story, I'll just clarify that in Japan people are usually referred to by their surnames in the articles, but to make it easier for everyone to keep track of who is who, I'll be using first names for some and last names for others, depending on what I think is the easiest to remember. Okay, so Sekine Gen, who I'll refer to just as Gen from now on, was born on January 2nd, 1942, in Chichibu, Saitama Prefecture. And just for some context, a prefecture is similar to a state in the US or Germany, or maybe a county in the UK. And Saitama Prefecture is right next to Tokyo, so many people who work in Tokyo actually live in Saitama. So as a child, Gen was known to lie and exaggerate a lot. He wasn't very good at it, though, because all his elementary school classmates saw through his lies, and no one wanted to be his friend. Middle school was pretty much the same, and after he graduated, he chose not to go to high school, but to start working part-time at a ramen shop and pachinko parlor. So, for those who don't know, pachinko is kind of like a slot machine with metal balls. It's basically gambling.
0: So, like, casino. Casino.
1: Sort of. Yeah, but not as sophisticated. If you can't call it sophisticated as a casino, it's more just pressing a button and then seeing what happens.
2: More like arcade-ish? Mm, I feel like Pachinko's more, more like a casino-based thing. It's more like a slotting machine. Yeah, but yeah,
1: slot machine-ish.
2: Slot machine, not slotting. Well,
1: mm. <laughs> I don't mm. know. So at his ramen job, Gen meets and falls in love with a co-worker, and they get married in 1961, when Gen is 19 years old. He and his wife soon have a child together, and their lives look pretty normal on the surface. But it turns out that Gen was secretly having an affair with a nurse this whole time, and when his wife finds out, she gets a divorce.
0: I'm not surprised, because if he's already a serial liar, a Mm -hmm. compulsional liar, I suppose, then... Cheating's just another aspect of that,
2: I Yeah. Would like, you point. say that he was uh, bullied in, in high school or middle school, like, you know, alone him? Or... or was he just kind of ignored in the background?
1: Well, so there's not a lot of info about this. So as far as I can tell, he was just ignored or, you know, people just didn't really want to be his friend, but not necessarily bullied. I mean, we never know, but there's no information on that. But anyway... So the divorce doesn't seem to bother Gen very much as he immediately married the nurse he was cheating with. Wow. But as the famous Chinese idiom goes, (laughs) 狗改不了吃屎, which literally means a dog can't stop itself from eating shit. Julia, do you have a guess at what that might mean?
0: I'm guessing that a cheater remains a cheater and
1: continues doing what he does best. Exactly. Uh, pretty much, but it applies to all bad habits you might have. So basically, bad habits die hard. Um, and yeah, so again, starts an affair with a masseuse this time, and eventually this leads to his second divorce. But so this is a little bit icky. But one of the people he uh, actually cheats with during his marriages was a sixteen-year-old. Oh, <gasps> oh my god! So we know his morals are not that great. Oh, that's, that's, that's so,
0: that's, oh, he's such a piece of shit. Yeah. And wait, is that one of the, that he marries? Like, does he marry the 16-year-old?
1: No, I don't think he marries the 16-year-old. Okay, but I'm there's, not sure. f- at least. Yeah, I think he just, you know, it's one of the people he has an affair with. Mm. Um, so as all of this was happening in his personal life, Gan also started running a pet shop and animal leasing business in his 20s. And he got really into breeding dogs, and was very successful in the industry, making a name for himself as the person who popularized the Alaskan Malamute in Japan. So cute. Yeah. So that's the cutest thing about this story. Good.
0: Okay. We'll remember that. <laughs>
1: um, so people who knew Gen during this time of his life describe him as charismatic and having a unique sense of humor that contrasted with his Yakuza-like style. So he was very good at talking and always knew what to say to get things his way. But despite his industry fame and charismatic personality, people avoided getting too close to Gen because over the years, he also gained a lot of notoriety for various reasons. Now, reason number one. So Gen, he didn't change his childhood behavior and remained a pathological liar. Aha. Aha. (laughs) To promote his business, He often appeared on magazines or TV shows, and the following boasts that he made on a 1988 TV program gives you the perfect idea of the kinds of things he would say. So one thing he would boast about is how he spent 11 years living in Africa, eight years in Alaska, and two more years in Siberia. That's a lot of places. It's a lot of places, and does and that even really... add
0: up with his age? That's what I was because say. I mean he's not too <laughs> old at this point.
1: At this point, he it's nineteen eighty eight, and he was born in forty two, so he is forty four years old. So he's old enough. Okay, this is Lena from editing. I know it's forty six and not forty four. My math sucks, but still, um, well, it, it did okay. not happen. So. It was I mean, very... obviously it didn't, but yeah, it was quite an obvious lie. <laughs> um, next thing, he went barefoot into a swamp that is filled with one hundred fifty thousand piran. I never know how to P- pronounce it. Piranhas. Piranhas. P- Piranhas. Piranhas. I
0: don't know. I know it. I know how to say it in German. I can't say it in English. I know how to say it
1: in Chinese. <laughs> Meat eating, <laughs> flesh eating fish. Yeah. Piranhas. Um, That would instantly turn a whole cow into a skeleton. He walked barefoot into a swamp, filled with them. So, how bad does he taste? I mean...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe just very smelly
2: feet.
1: That's true. The fish are like, "Mm, No. Nah. Not mine. He's he's claiming, like, Jesus-level (laughs) feet. Yes. Uh, And another thing he would... Uh, say was that because he had this desire to smear his body with zebra blood he charged into a pack of lions. (laughs) He charged into what? A pack of lions Uh. and survived. Yes, he survived apparently. And he successfully (laughs) smeared his body with zebra blood. Why
0: why would you lie about something like that? That's gross. (laughs) The poor zebra.
1: Yeah, but you can be glad Julia because it did not happen.
0: I mean obviously but just the thought of it is horrible.
1: what kind of person would just, you know, that's what I want to do. I'm visiting Africa and I really want to just run into a pack of lions covered and...
2: in zebra blood.
1: Covered in any
2: blood really.
1: That's true. It <laughs> would be
0: blood. disturbing.
2: That is true.
0: I never know. <laughs> do you have some f- What's that supposed to Do you have some be? sort of fantasies we don't know about Angela? Maybe some
2: really random fetish, but yeah. You never know.
0: Okay, I guess we won't yuck someone's yum then. (laughs) As long as the blood is ethically
1: sourced. Yes, ethically sourced, whatever that means. Um, But I suppose running into, you know, a pack of lions is ethically sourced. But anyway, let's move on from this topic. So the final thing he boasted about on this TV show was that his deeds were so extraordinary that the BBC not only reported about them, But they also called him the Japanese Tarzan. Oh, wow. Yeah, and you know, if someone just told you about their lives and they said all of this, you would just kind of think, ah, this person's not, you know, not someone I really want to be friends with, I suppose.
2: That's quite like, either they're really crazy. Mm -hmm. Or? Full of BS.
1: Or very
2: manipulative. Manipulative, full of BS, and is the type of person that would like, exaggerate their own experience
1: yeah no definitely exaggerating stuff he did or just making stuff up is definitely how he would talk to people on a daily basis so another reason why he was gaining notoriety was to normal people like you and me he seemed dangerous because he was involved with the yakuza so as far as i know he was not a gang member himself but he did have dealings with them and not all positive because one of his pinkies is missing. Wait. Yes. So maybe you've seen this in movies before, but when a Yakuza member is missing a pinky or any finger for that matter, uh, they usually cut it off themselves because within the Yakuza that is a way of redeeming for any mistakes you might have done. Uh, but again, he of course didn't say that this was due to gang involvement. Instead, he claimed that the lions in Africa bit his finger off. Of course. And he only lost his finger. Of thinking. course. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course. I mean, just imagine the scenario. He is in Africa, in the savannah. There's a hungry pack of lions like going to town on a zebra that they caught. And then this guy just jumps in. That's how he loses his finger. And that's how he's covered in zebra blood. <laughs> it's
1: just... That's how he lost his finger. Pinky. Pinky. Specifically. (laughs) Specifically his pinky. Pinky. Uh, Yeah, so that was a lie. And what really happened was that he owed the Yakuza money. And that's something that happened when he couldn't pay off his debts. So just another sign that he did get into some trouble. And another thing he did that would be deemed as dangerous was that he also kept sort of exotic animals, uh, dangerous exotic animals, such as lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my. And yeah, if your neighbor does that, you know, you might want to stay away. <laughs> but there were also rumors going around that Gen was doing horrible things to make more money with his business. And those rumors, unfortunately, turned out to be true, and what he would do was... So, for example, after selling someone a dog, he would then steal it back and then sell it to someone else. <laughs> what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow Wow! Those poor yeah. dogs though
1: And this is still the happier one Wow, okay um, Another thing he would do Is he would secretly Kill the customer's dogs When oh, you no. know the like, owner's not around And they would find the dog um, Dead the next morning for example no. And then out of nowhere Gen would appear And then he would say I'm, I'm not sure what he said But <laughs> he would then sort of convince them Wait, so he kills their dog, and then
2: comes. This is what horrible. That's so like. That's so
1: horrible. Who would do that?
0: What a bag of dicks.
1: (laughs) If you didn't think Gen was the bad guy in the story yet, now you know. And yeah, so uh, we don't know too much about his business back in those days, but in 1982, after over a decade in the business again opens the Africa Kennel which is also located in Saitama at the age of 40 Can I just ask something real quick Yeah of course Why is
0: it called the African Kennel is that something you'll get into or is that just an arbitrary name
1: mm, Well I wouldn't say it's arbitrary but um we, I don't have a reason for you Okay but I think it's because maybe because um they had lions in there as well sometimes Uh Okay so maybe that's why, or maybe at that time in Japan, just having something to do with Africa gave it a more, uh, some kind of image that he was hoping for. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so one year after he opens the Africa Kennel in 1983, 26-year-old Kazama Hiroko visits the Africa Kennel. Now, Hiroko is a Saitama local who worked as a land surveyor and was hoping to eventually help out at her father's land surveying business, and she and Gen, they hit it off immediately and get married in the same year. That fast? That fast, yes.
0: And he wasn't already married to the masseuse at that point.
1: No, they got a divorce because okay, they were it already to divorced. The nurse. <laughs> They're divorced because he cheats on people the whole time. He had two previous marriages, and because he cheated both times, uh, they all got divorces. So, so at this point, he was not married. So, yeah. Hiroko was a single mother, and when she married and moved in with Gen, she brought her four-year-old son, who we're just going to call Haru, with her. And since Haru can remember, Gen was always around, so he just assumed that Gen was his biological father. And once Haru started elementary school, Gen gave Haru a lot of daily chores to do, such as walking the dog, cleaning the house, and preparing the bathwater in the evening, which is very common in Japan. Uh, but if Haru were to skip out on any of his chores, then Gen would punish him by beating him with a wooden sword. Oh, no. Yeah, not a good sign. But thing. also
2: very Asian, just to be
1: fair. Yeah, I mean, it is maybe more common, but... Also for the time period. Yeah, for the time period, there was a there was more corporal punishment everywhere, but... It's going to get a lot worse than just this. So now we know again he kills dogs and he beats children. Swell guy. Swell guy. (laughs) Yes.
2: (laughs) Although at this point I feel like being bitten by a wooden stick is quite common in Asian Asian culture. (laughs) Whip.
1: (laughs) Well, you can see what else he does though. And then maybe at some point it's going to exceed the normal corporal punishment from back in the day. But anyway, so another thing, it wasn't just kind of physical punishment, he was also doing a lot of outside mental abuse uh, in the sense that, for example, if Haru, he woke up late in the morning and he just went to school without doing his morning chores first, then Gen would drive to the school to pick him up and force him to finish his chores first.
0: What? Yes. Okay. He does not place a lot of stock in education, it seems.
1: No, and to him it's more important to exercise control over Haru mm-hmm. than you know caring about him. I feel him like being... it's more
2: like mm. it sounds as if he doesn't really treat him as family though. It's like you have to in order to like have the right to live in this family, you got to work mm. for
1: it. Yeah, in a sense. So at this point Haru he doesn't know how it could be different, so he just assumes that this is normal and all the kids you know, had to help out at home and if they didn't, they would get punished. But when he was six years old, his younger sister, who we're just going to call Nozomi, was born. And as Nozomi grew older and also started elementary school, Haru started to notice how he was being treated differently. And Nozomi, she also had to do chores, but her chores were easy tasks such as turning the lights off at night. And if she did them, she would get... Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. Very difficult, sure. And if she did them, she would get 100 yen as a reward. And if she forgot, then she would just get off lightly, you know, without any physical punishment.
0: Right, because she was Gen's biological daughter, right? Yes, exactly. Okay, it seems like the sort of the step-parent complex Mm -hmm. where you're not my biological child so i will treat you differently so
1: you yeah
2: to, it's like you have to earn your place in the family ish mm-hmm. and that like you're more of a not a servant but like you know you're a help yeah but i think
1: yes in this sense i don't think anything Haru does is going to earn Gen's approval because he's not there to sort of give him approval he's just abusing him straight up.
0: plus i mean Haru believes Gen is his biological father. Like He doesn't, yes. he doesn't know, yeah. which is horrible, because he thinks like this is his dad, and why am I being treated so differently, mm-hmm. which is so sad.
1: Yeah, but that soon changes, actually, because when Haru was in middle school, Gen finally told him that he was not his biological father, and then everything made a lot more sense to Haru, but the abuse became significantly worse from there. Uh, so one time Haru, he stole some money from his parents' wallet to just go out and have fun with friends and this was discovered by Gen. And as punishment, Haru had to kneel on their concrete porch completely naked what? with three to four kind of concrete blocks stacked on his legs before he was then hosed down with water.
2: Oh. That's just like some sort of perverted shit. Yeah that's, yeah,
0: that's already far exceeding Like you said, regular, in quotation marks, Mm -hmm. corporal punishment. That's
1: horrible. And this didn't happen just once. It was a a recurring form of punishment for Haru. And something else that would happen often was, if Gen was mad at him, then he would drag Haru out of his second floor room and just push him down the stairs. That's just domestic abuse. It is, yes. It is. And one time, Gen even brought Haru to a bridge and told him to jump off and die so what yeah just he was (laughs) absolutely insane
0: he was like kill yourself yes oh my gosh that's Mm -hmm. so
1: disturbing yeah and as you might you know as you might guess gen's abuse was not limited to haru and both haru and nozomi can remember how gen would frequently beat their mother hiroko And when he would do that, Nozomi would cry for Gen to stop, and Haru was always just so frightened that all he could do was hide under his blankets. And Hiroko, she would later say that before marrying Gen, he displayed a bright and strong personality. He was always kind to her then four-year-old son, making her think that Gen would be a good father. But as you can see, after they got married, um, things changed, and then Gen also influenced Hiroko, I mean, we assume that he influenced her to start smoking, and she also got tattoos on her shoulders. And uh, so her son, Haru, would later say that Hiroko never wanted to get those tattoos, but that again forced them on her as a way of sort of exercising control over her. And allegedly, he also did the same thing, forcing his ex-wives to get tattoos as well. So what is it? It's more like he's claiming them? yeah so Genhi also had uh, t- like a big tattoo of a I forget it was a lion or a tiger on his back um so maybe it was an, a way of you know kind of matching forcing them to match with him or uh, and in Japan if you have sort of huge tattoos like that generally people would associate you with a yakuza so maybe by doing that it kind of changes her social status or makes other people less it would make it harder for other people to approach her.
2: That's true.
1: So, yeah, we don't know exactly. And I also
2: feel like it shows how he's so, like, possessive and insecure. Manipulative. Manipulative Mm -hmm. and a bit, Mm -hmm. like, it's not even insecure. Like, I feel like it's just he's claiming. Controlling. Controlling and claiming her.
0: That's what what I was thinking. Yeah, it's like you're not... Together with me anymore, so I'm going to even control how easy it will be for you to find love again. Yeah, kind of.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a way for him to control her, even when he wasn't around. Uh, but anyway, we're just gonna take a quick step away from Gen and Hiroko's home life and jump to 1992. Thirty-six-year-old Yamazaki Eiko is eager to get into the dog breeding business. In Eko, he saw Gen participate at a dog show and decided to visit the Africa Kennel to learn more about dog breeding. And to his surprise, Gen offered him a job, and Eko accepted, thinking this would be the perfect learning opportunity. In Eko, he became an employee at the Africa Kennel, but instead of teaching him, Gen only used him as a driver and made him run errands. Yeah, so just give you a quick background of but um, we don't know too much else about him except for the fact that he came from somewhere else and then he started working at the Africa Kennel now something important that happens in 1992 December is that the Africa Kennel would undergo tax inspections and so the company's lawyer suggested to Hiroko who was then helping out with the finances of the company uh, that it would be better financially if Hiroko and Gen got divorced and placed the property under Hiroko's name. Ooh. So Hiroko, she first kept his advice to herself. But when Gen's abuse towards her and Haru only got worse, she literally feared for her son's life and became determined to get a divorce for real. So Hiroko, she knew that Gen would not sign the divorce papers just like that. So she remembered you know, the tax evasion thing, uh, tax inspection trick, and approached him with the subject saying that their lawyer recommended divorce for tax purposes. So to Hiroko, Yeah, very smart. But to her, you know, this would be like her ticket to escape Gen's control. And she made sure she still got the custody of the children. And Gen, he believed that this would be like a fake divorce just for tax evasion purposes. He signs the papers. So at this point, legally, Hiroko and Gen are divorced. And as part of this tax evasion ruse, he would move out for the time being and live at Eiko's place. So if you know a little about Japan's history, you might notice that we are currently in the time known as the Lost decade. So to put it in extremely simple terms, Japan experienced an economic bubble from 1986 to 1991, where everything was great and money was all around, but this bubble burst in the early 90s and the economy wasn't doing so great anymore. Like most businesses, the Africa Kennel suffered financially and was in a lot of debt. So, what does Gen do? He resorts to scams to keep money rolling in. Of course. 39-year-old Kawasaki Akio was a company executive who purchased an Alaskan Malumut from the Africa Kennel. In late 1992, Gen approached Kawasaki with a profitable offer of investing in dog breeding. And in the end, Kawasaki is convinced, and he purchases two dogs, one male, one female, for 11 million yen.
0: What? Which? Do you Do you know how roughly how much that is?
1: Yes. So today that would be a little over 90,000 U.S. dollars, or around 83,000 euros, or almost 620,000 RMB. So sixty two 62万人民币. 62 62万. Wait for one dog. For two dogs. For two dogs. For two dogs. Still insane. Do dogs yeah. Yes. Still insane. I mean, but, I mean, yeah. It is pretty insane. Yeah. So Kawasaki, he soon finds out that not only did he pay way too much for the dogs, but the dogs are also too old for breeding. <laughs> so he goes to Gen. <laughs> so I'm not sure how Gen thought how he would get away with this, but anyway, Kawasaki goes to Gen and demands a refund, obviously. But by this point, Gen, he no longer has the money and has to think of another way to solve his problem. On the evening of April 20, 1993, Gen calls Kawasaki saying he would pay half the money back and give him a car as the refund and to meet him at a garage for the transaction. Once Kawasaki arrives, Gen asks his driver, so you remember his employee Eiko, to go on an errand and while Eiko is gone, Again talks with Kawasaki about how he will pay him back and as he's doing that he casually offers Kawasaki a supplement capsule
0: kind of like you'd offer someone gum oh yeah you want a, you want a
1: piece, I want a piece. yeah I so was like yo but I've been taking this it's really good for her this or that and yeah have a go Air quotes. quote as you might <laughs> yes so as you're already suspecting it was not really a supplement but strychnine nitrate. Oh. And back then it was used for euthanizing pets. Of course he'd have
0: access to that then as a breeder.
1: Yes, yeah, so normally I don't think people were able to buy this, but because he was a dog breeder, he had easy access to, to this, um, to strychnine. And Kawasaki he doesn't think too much of it, takes the capsule and dies after drinking it. Damn. Eiko returns from his errands and finds skin with Kawasaki's body. Gen doesn't try to cover anything up, and what? he threatens Eiko by saying things like, Do you also want to become like him? Oh my god. Or, oh, by the way, how are your kids doing?
0: Oh, very... So,
1: yeah. yeah. You know, Eiko, fearing for his own life and the life of his family, he's pressured into helping Gen. And to his surprise, Gen seemed to know what he was doing and had a very specific way of disposing the body in mind. So the duo first transported Kawasaki's body to Eiko's house, which had an eerily cute name, the Pop House. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And Gen proceeded to dismember the body and told Eiko to meet up with Hiroko and hide Kawasaki's car. When they met up, Hiroko asked whether the plan had worked. This indicates that she was aware of what Gen had in mind.
0: Uh, I was hoping she wasn't complicit. I was hoping no, she so wasn't. unfortunately
1: she she knew what was happening, and um yeah, so when Eiko returned home the next day, Kawasaki's body had been diced into tiny pieces, and oh. the bones along with his belongings, Kawasaki's belongings were burned to char, and again he was still there. diced diced, yes, diced to tiny pieces or sliced I'm that not exactly a sure, a
0: that's horrible yes.
1: And you really really have to be able to stomach that, yeah. But anyway, when Eiko goes back home, he sees that Gen is still there, and Gen tells him to throw the tiny body parts into the river and scatter the ashes and the burned bones in the forest.
2: That poor man! Eiko didn't
1: question?
0: His family was threatened.
1: Yeah, he he felt like if he didn't do this, then the same thing would happen to him.
0: I think the entire time, the only thing going through his head was like, This is not in my job description. <laughs> yes. This is not what I signed up yeah. for. Okay. At least he didn't feed it to the dogs in oh, his kennel. I was
2: just gonna say. That's
1: true. I did not think of that. He could have just. It, fed
2: it could to dog. have
1: gone so much worse. That is oh. true. So, despite all his efforts of hiding his crime, people suspected that Gen might be involved in Kawasaki's disappearance. And one such person was Yakuza henchman Endo Yasutoshi. Endo was a direct agent of the local Yakuza boss, and he was also a customer at the Africa Kennel. Instead of going to the police, though, he decides to blackmail Gen. So smart. (laughs) Smart move. Um, And obviously Gen is unable to pay, and we don't know how involved Hiroko was in the decision-making here, but a conclusion was reached that Endo must be killed. Oh my god and because endo is always with his assistant slash driver wakui he must also die great right.
0: so that's another two people
1: and that's another two people yes and to execute this plan on the night of july 21 or july 21st 1993 gen hiroko and eiko so the all three of them they drive to endo's place eiko stays in the car while gen and hiroko go inside Gen pretends like he's going to pay the blackmail money and casually uses his same trick again. He offers Endo and Wakui some supplements.
2: What is going on? Wait, why, why do they just accept? It almost feels yeah, like I mean, he has some sort of brand, like supplement branding. <laughs> it's like, oh, by the way, this is the new product that we're doing.
1: <laughs> yes. And, you know, you're blackmailing a guy who you think killed someone, right? So you think you would be a little more careful with what he gives you. But, you know, yeah, like no one a victim blame. I think, um, again, he was very convincing and he was, like I said, sort of um, very charismatic and he knew how to manipulate people. And he made them, you know, let their guards down and think, you know, this is all going well. So anyway, they both take the supplements. Uh, and the next thing that Eiko sees... As he's waiting in the car is how the assistant Wakui comes running out of the house in agony. Gen and Hiroko pretend like they're going to get him help and drive him off with their car. Eiko is told to stay behind and look after Endo who has already died from taking the strychnine. Now in the car the poison starts working properly and Wakui also dies. He was in so much agony from the poison that by the time he passed his leg ...had broken the front windshield of the car. Whoa! Whoa. That's possible? And once that happened, both Endo and Wakui's bodies are then transported to Pop House. And this time, all three are involved in the dismemberment. And this will be the first time for Eiko and Hiroko to witness how Gen made bodies... ...quote-unquote, transparent. This was the word he used to describe his process of cleanly slicing the flesh from the bones and dicing them into small pieces. The flesh would then be disposed of in the river, where the bones and belongings would be burned to ashes and scattered in the forest. This time, Hiroko helped with dismembering the bodies, while Eiko would sharpen the knives. And with that, the bodies of Endo and Wakui also become transparent. So time passes again, we're still in the same year, so all this happens within a span of four months. Four months? Uh, yeah, April to August. Oh, jeez. On August 26, 1993, Gen invites Sekiguchi Mitsue to a meeting. Sekiguchi is the mother of an employee at the Africa Kennel, and she's also having an affair with Gen. What? Why? Oh. So, as I said, Go <laughs> without Gen is having an affair again. And uh, this time, though, he meets up with her to talk about business convincing her to invest in the Africa Kennel and becoming a shareholder. Sekiguchi completely trusts Gen and agrees to invest. But as you might guess, this was also one of Gen's investment scams. And fearing the trouble that would come when Sekiguchi finds out about it, he decides to just murder her as a precaution.
0: Oh, this poor woman. She just trusted the wrong man. Yeah, so
1: it's it's very sad and it's just awful and some sources also say that you know another reason he probably did this to her was because he kind of got tired of their relationship i mean and instead of just breaking up like a normal person would do right
0: because murder is his conflict resolution strategy it seems
1: yeah that seemed i mean it worked for him so far so he does the same trick again and offered her a drink that was laced with strychnine and not suspecting anything Sekiguchi takes it and dies in the car. And Gen, you know, not forgetting his mission, um, he still steals 2.7 million yen from Sekiguchi and then calls Eiko to help him take care of the body. Oh. Oh, Jesus. So as far as we know, Hiroko was not involved with this murder, and when Gen and Eiko brought Sekiguchi's body to Pop House, as usual, uh... There's something different that happens here. This time again, he commits sexual acts on the corpse before he dismembers her body.
0: That's so sad and... Such a sick person, it's... So disturbing.
1: Yeah, it's just awful. Um, Yeah, so, four murders now so far. And you might be wondering what the police has been doing all this time.
0: Yes, I do wonder where the police has been.
1: Yes, thank you. So... When Kawasaki first disappeared, so the first victim, the police already had their eyes on the Africa Kennel because Kawasaki's wife reported the, you know, the dog breeding scam to the police and you know she suspected Gen already. And in fact, the police, they were already aware of Gen and his suspicious activities almost 10 years ago. Because back in 1984, three people related to Gen also disappeared. And at that time, the police conducted a large-scale investigation for the disappearances, but no body or any other evidence were ever found, so no charges were filed. And you can read more about these cases on Wikipedia, but because Gen was never convicted of these crimes, I did not cover them So here.
0: it seems likely that Kawasaki wasn't his first victim?
1: Yes, so exactly. Gen, he was only convicted of four murder charges, but... His meticulous way of disposing bodies suggests that the 1993 murder of Kawasaki was not his first.
0: I mean, it makes sense because his his method seemed very practiced.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. I was going to say, remember how like you could just dice people?
1: Yeah. Like, yeah.
2: It's very difficult to dice. Like, imagine if it was his first time. Mm. I don't think that unless he has a lot of other practices
1: yeah so i think you're both right um because by 1993 when these four murders happened Gen he was already boasting about his methods of making a body transparent and echo would later tell police that gen once boasted about killing more than 30 people and committing his first murder in his teens
0: that's a high number and he was only convicted of four
1: yeah he was only convicted of four so if he didn't lie about the 30 people, then that would make him one of the most prolific serial killers in Japan. So this probably will not come as a surprise to you, but he also had a murder philosophy. Uh, he has- uh, Okay. So we also know this from Eiko, because apparently, again, bragged about his philosophy. Uh, and I'm just going to tell you about his rules. So first rule, kill those who are not good for the world.
0: Right, okay.
1: And of course, he gets to decide who is good and not good. Of course. Uh, second rule do not kill for insurance purposes because you will get caught.
0: Hmm. <laughs> okay, I mean, I'm not condoning murder, but that is one of the most obvious tells.
1: Yeah. Uh, rule number three kill the greedy.
2: Kill greedy. Okay.
1: Which is also just super random. Um, four, it is important not to shed blood. And this is not because, you know, Gen didn't like shedding blood, but purely in the sense of evidence. Mm. So I think that's why he chose to poison his victims, so that he didn't have to deal with the blood.
0: And I mean, there's a couple of poisons that don't really, like, it doesn't really show up, I think, in sort of post mortem, but I mean, in this case, there's not even any bodies to. Have do like a toxicology report, so, I guess it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. And that does bring us to the final rule of his philosophy, which is to make a body disappear. Uh, the actual wording that he uses, the Japanese, is to make a body transparent or invisible, mm, okay. but it just sounds uh, it makes more sense in English to just say disappear. Uh, but that's what he called his method of completely removing the flesh from the bones. Dicing them into small pieces, scattering them in the river, and burning all of the clothes, the evidence, so that he would never get caught. Uh, so if you remember, Gen, he used to work at a ramen shop in his teens. And that shop actually burned down in a fire, which killed the owner. And some theorized that this could be Gen's first murder. And he was kind of experimenting with how to make a body disappear. Whoa. And in that, in that case, he tried with fire. And if you still need some convincing that he may have killed in the past, he also bragged that if there was an Olympic event for killing, he would win the gold medal. Oh, gross. Yeah.
0: Who makes statements like that? Why do they make such a competition out of it? Like serial killers. It's It's so horrible.
1: Yeah, they always have to be the best. Uh, Speaking of other serial killers... Something quite interesting happens now. So remember, the murders all took place in 93. Mm -hmm. And then in January of 94, a completely different murder was solved. That case was called the Osaka dog lover murders. So not Saitama, but Osaka. So what happened there was that people also started to disappear. And in the end, uh, police figured out that the missing people were all murdered specifically poisoned by a guy called Ueda, who's also a dog breeder, dog trainer type of person. So you can see how this case is eerily similar to what happened in Saitama, and the media also picked this up. So they started comparing what was happening in Saitama to Osaka and sort of having their own hypotheses or suspicions that maybe something similar is happening and the local dog kennel might be responsible Anyway, without a body and any evidence, the police couldn't do anything while the next three murders happened right under their eyes. But the key to solving the case was when the police discovered that Eiko's wife embezzled 50 million yen from the company she worked at. What? (laughs) What? So this was completely unrelated to to what was going on at the Africa Kennel. But when the police found out about this, they used it as leverage And, you know, arrested Eiko's wife. And when they brought Eiko in for questioning, um, they were able to say, okay, you know what? We don't actually care too much about what your wife did. If you tell us what Gen did, she'll get off scotch-free. So, you know, after some back and forth, the police were able to get a confession out of Eiko about the crimes committed by Gen. And he also brought the police to where he disposed of the ashes. And parts of a watch were found that were matched to the serial number of a watch purchased by Kawasaki. So this was enough evidence, and the police subsequently arrested Gen and Hiroko on January 5th,
2: 1995.
1: Finally. Finally, yes.
2: That took a while.
1: Yes, I mean, it's hard when you don't have a body, right? So all of these people, they just disappeared. So without a body, without an evidence, even if they suspected him, they couldn't just arrest him. So Eiko was so the key. Thank
0: goodness.
1: Yes, he was the key to solving this case. On June fifth, two thousand nine, both Gen and Hiroko were sentenced with a death penalty. So Gen, he was actually uh convicted of all four murders, whereas Hiroko was just convicted of um the second and third, so the Yakuza member and his assistant slash driver. Because for the first murder she was only there to well, she took part of disposing of the car, and the final murder, she did not. She was not involved at all, but still she was sentenced to the death penalty. Whereas Eiko, because he helped out with the investigation and also was vital to solving the case, uh, he actually was acquitted and got off with a suspended sentence. On March 27, 2017, Gen dies in, in prison um, so he never actually receives his death penalty. And Hiroko is still in prison right now and has uh, filed for appeal because she claims that she was innocent uh, with regard to the murders. So she doesn't deny that she helped dismember the bodies and get rid of the bodies. But she did not actually murder anyone and was not involved with that directly.
0: So they were sentenced in 2007?
1: Uh 2009.
0: 2009, and when did Gen die in, on death row? Uh,
1: 2017.
0: Okay, so he was uh, in jail for eight years before he died. Yes. Do
1: we know what he died mm-hmm. of? So he basically got sick. He was, uh, they were both waiting for execution at the Tokyo detention house, and again he got sick, and then when he was getting treatment at the, uh, the prison hospital, uh, he died at the age of 75 of multiple organ failure.
0: And so they were sentenced 2009 and Hiroko is still alive and waiting for execution right now?
1: Yes, so she is still on death row.
0: Wow, she's been in prison a long time.
1: Yes, uh, for sure. And there's actually a book uh, that's the, that discusses Hiroko's role in the murders and the possibility that she's innocent. So throughout the story, I told you about how she was abused by Gen and in the end she actually was wanting a divorce. And there's also, there are sources that say that Gen, he kind of figured out Hiroko's plot of tricking him into getting a divorce. And he knew that, okay, if she's serious about this divorce, then I don't own anything. I don't have the kids, I don't have the property, the Africa kennel. So he, for him, it worked out perfectly by involving her in this murder plot she would not be able to escape his control.
0: And also, I believe that I, I, I could definitely see that if uh, she had been abused by him mm-hmm. for so long, even though they were divorced, he probably still had a lot of power over her.
1: Yes, I would say so So too. I think
0: intimate partner violence, we don't really know how and like how long it affects the brain, I think for a very long time. So... Mm. There is that aspect that makes it a little questionable how much guilt you can heap onto her. But at the same mm-hmm. time, she did involve herself in it. She did have a part in yes. ending someone's life and kind of, I guess, desecrating their corpses.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But would you deserve the death penalty for that is the question that they're bringing up. And... So interestingly, when Eiko was confessing, when he you know, when he confessed everything to the police, he first said that Hiroko, when she was helping with the dismemberment of the two bodies, she was humming a song. Whoa. And he specified like a specific song when he was confessing. And then later on, there's actually a book published by Eiko with, I think it was written by someone else, but he kind of gave the information and then the person wrote it. And there it stated that she was humming a different song. So then later on, when he was asked about this song thing, this discrepancy in his two, his two stories, uh, it turns out that that bit was actually a lie. And he said that, you know, the book is fiction and you shouldn't take everything seriously, and that Hiroko wasn't actually humming any song while dismembering the bodies. When she was sentenced to the death penalty, it stated that Eiko, he was surprised, and he said, oh, really, the death penalty, even though she wasn't involved in the murder itself. So he was personally surprised by the sentence of death penalty because he would then say she wasn't involved in the murder. But, you know, this whole case is a lot of he says, she says, and there's no evidence, right? There's no body, so you can't really uh, do any investigation based on scientific evidence. It's mostly just what people say. Also, interestingly, um, one of the reasons Hiroko was convicted of murder is based on Gen's testimony saying that she suggested to him that we should just kill them.
0: Well, it's not like he's a known
1: liar. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and not a known manipulator. Yeah. I mean, at this point, Gen is dead, so it's not going to. She, she's on death row. Like, she, it can't get any worse for and her. We'll never know. We'll never know, yes. We'll never
2: know how much of his and statement another, was true. Like, yes. Knowing and, that like she mm. has been abused, it's like she's also somewhat mm. of a victim. Not saying that yeah. she is completely like guiltless, but mm-hmm. she would still be a victim in this situation.
1: Yeah, it's just a question of how much guilt does she have? So she does not deny her guilt with regards to the dismemberment and all that. Just the murder, that she was not the one who came up with this idea, plotted the murder. Uh, So, you know, she basically is hoping to not get the death penalty and be able to have a lighter sentence like Eiko did. He's walking around, you know, free. He wrote a book about it. So did she do the same thing as he did but get the death penalty instead? And we'll never know about that. And another interesting thing. So remember the Yakuza member who was murdered, the second conviction? Yes. His boss, the Yakuza boss, also wrote a book about this. (laughs)
2: Okay. Everyone
1: wants to write books. Everyone's writing books. Yes. (laughs) So for him, the reason he wrote the book, or he claims, is that because he, they actually wanted to get revenge for the murder on Gen, but they were not able to, and as a last act of defiance, or this book was his revenge, where he would talk about everything that happened, and then
0: yeah, because you said that Gen, I mean he had dealings with the Yakuza, right? Yes. So obviously they have a lot of dirt on him. Mm. So I guess I can see how airing out that dirty laundry can be revenge. Yeah, I
1: mean, I haven't read the book because after selling over 3,600 copies, Hiroko actually sued and filed a lawsuit, a defamation lawsuit, because this book, it depicted conversations between Gen and Hiroko where Gen says this, Hiroko says that, and Hiroko says, oh, we'll just kill him or something like that. And obviously nobody was there to hear that conversation. So that was all kind of made up. It's, I don't think he claims that it was true. But he says to so the Yakuza boss, he says, I knew them personally. And I can imagine it kind of happening like that. And obviously thats you can't call that as truth. Yeah. So Hiroko actually won that lawsuit. So that book was discontinued. So yeah, it's very rare if you ever find it. Uh, But something else about Hiroko's personality. So after she got a divorce from Gen and Haru graduated from middle school, uh, they actually sent him to study in the States. And uh, right when the investigation was happening, so the murders already happened. And then Haru came back to visit the family for New Year's. And they were actually arrested on the day that he was going to fly back to the States. Mm. And then Hiroko, just to make... She was scared that if, you know, the news... um, of her arrest was broadcasted on TV and Haru sees it. He would not board the plane. He would just come back.
2: So right before Haru left for U.S. to study.
1: He was already studying there for a bit. He came home to visit. And as he was going to go back to the U.S., the arrest was going to happen. And then Hidoko told them, please don't broadcast this or whatever until this time, just to make sure that he's on the plane and doesn't find out until he's already there.
0: Oh, mm. that's kind of sad. Did uh, the kids, Haru and Nozomi, ever make any statements?
1: Um, So all the information I have are from an article that interviewed them. But not like official statements because they were still children when this happened. Mm-hmm. Nozomi was still very young and she didn't know what was going on. So she just remembers her mom saying, yeah, it'll be okay, I'll be back. And then later she was just taken care of by her grandma. And also Haru, of course, he was abused his whole childhood. And he has some guilt uh, because he was told once, I think by Hiroko, um, because he doesn't remember this himself, but he knows that he asked, or Hiroko asked him, do you want a dad? And then he said, yeah. Oh. And then Hiroko married again. So he has this guilt. He has this guilty feeling that because he said yes, because he wanted a dad, all of this happened. So if he didn't say that, None of this would happen. His mom would not be on death row and there would be a happy family. But yes, so it's just awful.
0: But also he wouldn't have his sister. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you, he, he shouldn't have to take that guilt on because, mm. I mean, it's totally valid to want a second parent, to want a dad if you don't have one. Yeah. But it's not like he put Gen in his mother's path. Yeah, no. That was just bad circumstance, but obviously I I know because I do this. It's very easy to feel guilty about stuff, mm-hmm. even though technically you can't change anything. Like you, you, no, you you couldn't have guessed things in advance, and I'm not. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but <laughs> you feel guilty for things that you couldn't really influence anyway.
1: Yeah, and he was four years old when they got married, so he doesn't even remember this conversation. Any kid probably would have said, yeah, if I if they didn't have a dad in their life and their mom asked that, they would say yes, so, you know, but it still plagues him to this day. That's sad. Um, but yeah, so this is kind of what happened back in 93 with the, the Saitama dog lover murders. And before I conclude the story, I just want to give a... Another side story, <laughs> which is often the reason why this case is still talked about is because of a monk, a Buddhist hmm? monk. Hmm. His name is Miki Dayun, and he is—he actually has a YouTube channel, I believe, Oh, and he talks about just generally scary stuff, and this was one of the experiences that he had during his trainee years. What? So as part of his training to become a proper monk, uh, he had to spend... A few years in a in a temple in Saitama which was very close to the African kennel and this was his experience uh, with with the African kennel so he had a lot of um, studying to do a lot of work to do had to wake up early in the morning and go back to bed very late and he was under a lot of stress so he sometimes he would he knew that there was this you know dog place and he would go there sometimes to just kind of pet the dogs because in was a stress Ultimate therapy. For him. It's so I love animals. They're so yes. calming. So ultimate therapy. He would go to the African kennel, and on one of these trips, he um, was he had a little you know a camera you know the old ones where you have to uh, roll or s- spin that thing oh, every yeah. time you take a picture. Yes, he had one of those, and he was taking pictures of the dogs. When Gen came out, and he said, "Hey, what are you doing there? Um, you can't take any pictures, and I'm gonna." like charge money for this or something like that and he was like oh I'm sorry I'm sorry uh just take the camera and then when he spoke Gen reacted wait a second are you from Kansai because um the monk he was from Kansai so he had a dialect uh so Kansai is like Osaka Kyoto region so Gen he immediately so he was also speaking in the Kansai dialect he was like, hey I'm from there too where are you from uh where in Kansai are you from and the monk said, Kyoto. So, oh, Kyoto, I live there as well. And then, yeah, so then they started talking and he suddenly changed his demeanor, right? He was no longer mean, and he said, come in, come in, and, you know, let's just have a chat. So the monk goes in, and he starts talking with Gen. And they talk about uh, Kyoto, and at this point, Gen, Gen says, um, so do you know uh, Karasumaru? And the monk's like, what, Karasumaru? Do you mean Karasuma, which is a, an area in Kyoto? And then Gen says, oh yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, Karasuma. Um, and so that's just one thing I want you to remember. And then anyway, they, they talk about other stuff. But at this point, uh, Gen offers the monk some coffee. But unlike normal people who would just offer you coffee if if you ask for it, or, you know, uh, what kind do you like, and then just give it to you, he brings out eight different, I'm not sure if it's cans or bottles, but eight of them, Sets them in front of the monk. They're all the same brand. And he says, pick one. Oh, uh, my God. I'm really, like, really <laughs> creeped out That's... by the,
0: like, pick one, like, pick. Yeah. <laughs> Life. My mind immediately went to, have you guys seen The Princess Bride? Um, I don't think so. Is it's... that the one with? Yeah. What's the actress's name again? I don't know. I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah, but the Princess Bride. There's The Princess Diaries. Are you thinking of? Oh, I'm
1: thinking of. Yeah, and Hathaway. Hathaway. Yes, I am. I don't know The Princess Bride.
0: Yeah, no. The Princess Bride is a bit older and it's such a classic. You guys have to watch it. It's amazing. And it's so quotable. You know the thing, my name is Inigo Montoya. Uh, you killed my father, prepare to die. Oh, yeah. That's from The Princess Bride. And there's this scene where Princess Buttercup, um, who is meant to marry the king, but her, like, Childhood love, he kind of like follows them to like get her back. And then there's this scene where one of the baddies and like her childhood love, they kind of do like a gambling thing. Like, if you defeat me, you can have her. And they do a thing where they have like two goblets and some wine and they put like poison in one of them. And it's okay, now I'm gonna like change up the goblets and then you have to pick one. And that's exactly what that reminded me of. Yeah, it's kind of similar
1: to where you don't know which one's poison yes. and you gotta you gotta make a choice. Yeah, I mean, you already kind of know what's going on. So our m- monk, Miki Dion is faced with a choice. He has to pick one out of the eight different coffees.
2: Is there like a plot twist like where <laughs> Miki just goes like, She <laughs> must, I don't drink coffee." <laughs> <laughs>
1: Like, psych. psych No.
2: like I'm a tea drinker.
1: A coffee. So he was thinking, well, this is a bit weird. Why would he put eight different ones? Are they different? So he actually touched each of them, kind of just see whether the temperature is different. So he thought maybe, you know, these ones are cold, these ones are hot. And he just touched them and it was all like just room temperature. And another thing he noticed was that... Very Buddhist. Yes, very Buddhist. He, um, very Buddhist. So again had a fridge where he actually kept the same brand of coffee in the fridge. But he didn't take the coffee from the fridge to offer to uh, Mickey Dayun. He took them out of like a cardboard box. So anyway, he picked one from the eight. He just oh I'll just take this one, and then he drank the coffee. And they talked about a lot of stuff. And eventually um, he left. Oh sorry, I forgot. So at this meeting, uh, Gen actually uh, asked the monk whether he is interested in walking the dogs because. He needs someone to walk the dog sometimes, and if he likes dogs, you know, seems like a win-win situation. And he would also pay him 150,000 yen per month. And that's actually a lot of money for walking dogs a few times a day. So um, he was was also young at that point, so he said, oh, that's awesome. I'm just going to check with my supervisor to see if this is okay. And that's the end of that meeting. So he goes back to his temple, he talks to his supervisor about it, and of course the supervisor says, of course you cannot work as a dog walker and earn a monthly salary, the whole point of becoming a monk is to kind of, you know, separate yourself from all these worldly, Absolutely. earthly sort of desires. And he said, yeah, that makes sense. So he ended up having to write like a, um, like a, not a sorry note, but a whole paragraph or a whole essay about, you know, what happened and why he was going to make the wrong choice and was, yeah, reflections. And he had to read in front of everyone. Mm. So there's like evidence of this happening. And he actually mentions... The African kennel in his essay. Um, so anyway the next day or a few days later he goes back to the African kennel to tell Gen that he can no longer or he, he has to de- deny his decline his offer and Gen was like yeah that makes sense of course by the way you want some coffee and then
0: oh, no. he sets
1: out five I'm gonna say cans of, cans of coffee and ask him to pick one. <laughs>
2: I'm sorry, but why are the choices getting, like... Because it's eight, now it's five. What's next? Yeah. It, he's
0: just gonna do the same thing until it sticks, I guess. Yeah,
1: it's it's really... <laughs> really messed up. But anyway... Mickey Diamond doesn't think too much about it. He kind of goes through his Buddhist, I guess, instincts, and then picks one. Drinks it, and goes home. And now I don't remember the last... Why he... Oh yeah, I remember now. So... This happens, he declined the offer, and then some time later, he had to move to a different temple. He had to continue his training elsewhere. So he thought, oh yeah, I'm just going to go say bye to the owner of the African kennel. You know, we had some connections, so I suppose I should say bye and be polite, right? So he visits the place for the third time, and he goes to say, yeah, I'm going to leave the place now. Thank you, you know, for taking care of me as a Japanese say they're really polite so he just bids his farewell and of course the same thing happens gen offers him um, five different kinds of coffee and he's supposed to pick one
0: oh my and gosh.
1: the same thing happens again our monk picks one drinks it and wants to leave and at this point gen is like hey why don't you take another one um oh,
0: no and then he's
1: like wait what and he just thinks no, it's okay. He he politely he, he declines and says, oh, It's okay, die over this. Leave the I'm poor fine. monk alone. <laughs> and then he leaves. And before he leaves, Gen actually says, Do you believe in. So do you actually. You do, you do Buddhism, right? Do you actually believe in, you know, Buddha or a powerful being? And um, so they talk about religion, spirituality. And Gen, he kind of just He mentions that he doesn't personally believe. Much about, he's not that interested in religion, but he says if there is a Buddha or a spirit, you're probably protected, <laughs> and he leaves him at that.
0: Wow. Okay. So
1: yeah, so our monk doesn't think much of it. Again, and years pass. He finds out that um, he finds out that again, of course, you know, it's on the news, was the serial killer who uh, killed the people in the area, and he was shocked. And a few years later, he gets a call it's from a person who had some connections with Gen as he was, you know, a few years before he died. Uh, And during the the last moments when Gen was really sick, they kind of talk about, um, so that separate person, we don't know the name, uh, anonymous person, he talks with Gen about, you know, before dying, what are your beliefs or do you have anything else you want to say before you die? And Gen, he kind of just talks a bit about spirituality and says he believes there is something greater than um, the world we see. And the guy's like, oh, why is it because, you know, you're nearing the end of your life? It's like, oh, no, no, it's because back in the day when I was still at the African kennel, there was this monk who um, came to my place. Three times I offered him coffee and each time only one can was not poisoned. So everything else was poisoned.
0: Whoa. And three times in a row,
1: he picked the not poisoned one and walked away alive. No way! <laughs> yeah,
0: okay.
1: so that's why I he- would also
0: <laughs> believe in some higher power if that happened. Yeah,
1: so that's amazing luck. Ooh. Luck or intuition, protection,
0: or Buddhist instinct. Yeah, so
1: it's um, <laughs> it's quite the story. And there, so the you can actually see the interview, or there's multiple interviews of Mickey Dion talking about his experience. I'll post the link in the show notes if anyone wants to watch it. It is in Japanese, but maybe captions. You can translate the captions. But he tells it, you know, in a lot more detail that I just told there's some other extra stuff, you know, that's interesting as well. So yeah. But that's the basic story that he uh he almost got killed three times.
0: Wow. And, and he escaped with his law. life. Amazing. amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Lena. You picked a
1: great first uh, one. Yeah. And it's already one and a half hours into the recording.
0: And... <laughs> Don't think about it. We'll. It's fine.
1: And that was the first episode of Murder on Silk Road. Thank you for sticking with us until the end. We're still very new to recording and editing, so the first few episodes are probably going to sound a little rough. Yeah, and
0: if you liked uh, this episode, regardless of our... Um, Still the current faults and our um, ever-improving skills. You can join us again next week in Europe for a case there.
1: Thank you for listening and hopefully see you next time.
0: Yeah. Bye. Bye, murder friends. Bye.